Well, I lived in Brooklyn most of my life. Mm. And the subway you heard from like 10 miles away. And we just got used to it. Yep. Yeah. You just don't even hear it anymore. Did it shake your place when it was going through? No, it was, it was far away, but you always heard it. Yeah. But it, it was like, ah, home. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was like home sweet home. It was like hearing a boiler in your basement. Yeah, like you yeah. live in the basement. Um, but I have a question for you. Imagine you were on vacation, right? <laughs> for real. Imagine <laughs> you're imagine, so good at these early segues. No, imagine <laughs> imagine this is like you're on a weekend away, just two days, not not like two weeks or a week that you actually did. Mm. Imagine your vacation was just two days, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine when you woke up in the morning, it never got light out. And mm. oh, Alaska. Yeah, I would imagine I'm vacationing in the Arctic Circle somewhere. It never, <laughs> the sun never came up Okay, for six days. Okay. What would you do? I'd come back down from the Arctic Circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get the heck out of Alaska. <laughs> how, how many days do they usually experience of darkness, though? Like six months or something? I think it's a few months. Six months of straight darkness? Yeah, but then it's a few months of straight lightness yeah like the sun doesn't go down really yeah, yeah. it for just comes down six months from what i understand it comes down close to the horizon and just like stays there for the, the entire night and then comes back up so this news is going to excite you guys hold up hold up so breaking news on bible dingers news network <laughs> As always, we start the show with fake news or real news. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. But this one, this one's good, man. This one's good. Let me tell you. Because the other one one is good. (laughs) This one. Finally. Is good. NASA confirmed in the year 2028, America will experience six straight days of darkness. Darkness, everybody. Darkness. You said America? It will? America. In the year 2025. I thought it was 2028. 2028. <laughs> we'll experience seven straight days of complete darkness. Is this darkness. real news or I fake news? Real news or fake news. Didn't you say six days? Yeah, whatever days. Said I, I got to look back at the article. But Oh, oh, so it's an article. Well, it could be like Babylon, you know, fake website. I don't know. That sounds kind of strange for satire. I've been trying yeah. to, uh, I've been trying to memorize the fake news or real news so that you guys don't know what I'm doing. You don't know if it's real or fake because sometimes when I read it, you know right off the bat. Yeah. So because you see the article from the corner of the phone. Right. So. So how's that been working out go. for you? Good. Um, Great. I stumped you last <laughs> you episode. You me last episode. <laughs> Are you doing? I think it's fake. You think it's fake news? What do you say, Mister Ryan? I want to. S- I want it to be real. So I want to say real news. You say real news. My heart says real news. Oh yeah, just follow my head your heart. says fake news. So what's Just your answer, dude? Follow your heart, dude. I'm following my heart. I'm going to say real news. Real news. Yeah. This is second episode in the row. In the row. Oh. In the row. This is the second episode in the row. This is the second episode in a row. I usually stump Mark A, but I don't stump you, Betty. Betty? <laughs> my name's Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Betty? Who's Betty? Who's the lady from the Jetsons? <laughs> Who's Betty? Someone we should know about? (laughs) Betty. That's such an old lady name. (laughs) You play that music, bro. I'm done. Oh, you're done? Sorry. Figured I'd...
bring some liar into this vacation to Japan. That's not a liar. <laughs> I don't know how a liar. You're sounds. a liar. Are you lying to me? Yeah. Look. Yeah. Energy. 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 Energy, 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 energy. Yeah. I got the light and it living me. Only the tribe and my kin with me. I've been working like it's ten of me. Catching the vibe for infinity. Yeah. Energy, 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 energy. Yeah. Energy, energy. Got a lot of energy this episode, guys. And it starts with E. <laughs> <laughs> like the name Esther. <laughs> This is such a Sesame Street episode right now. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about you gotta hit us. Uh, you gotta hit us with that echo when you, we say E. You're trying too hard with the segues. <laughs> <laughs> also starts with E. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, I say it every episode because I want everybody to know. Just in case you're wondering what the heck is going on, we start the show with fake news, real news. We like to laugh a little bit, but we're diving into the topic right now, um, and we discuss title, date of authorship all types of events that happen when we go through the entire outline of the book and we want you to read your Bibles, open it up and read it. But we are on Esther today. Esther, yes. So let's start with the title of Esther. The title of Esther <laughs> is <laughs> Esther. <laughs> and it starts with E. <laughs> so similar to uh, a lot of the other books of the Old Testament, Esther is named after the book's primary hero or heroine, I guess you could say. Not heroine but you know like the female hero Woman. yes um so this book and the book of ruth are the only ones named after a woman so mm. i don't know is that a fun fact did it's i jump fun. the gun i don't know i don't know you have a lot of fun facts like before the fun facts area i know i get too excited you know i just want to stick them in you there. know what starts with excited <laughs> <laughs> what starts with excited <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so Esther's original Hebrew name was Hadassah. Um, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> this is off the rails, bro. You just squeak your wheel. <laughs> Hadassah, which came from either the Persian word for star, or it possibly stems from the Babylonian goddess Ishtar. Which, if you know about Ishtar, that's a Babylonian goddess. Oh. Common misconception, which I just realized, is that I don't think Easter actually stems from Ishtar. Which Easter? Which is news to me, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people talk about how Easter comes from the goddess Ishtar. I mean, if you Google it, that's pretty much what you'll get, though. Well, yeah. isn't this I'm the fertility goddess, right? I'm learning that's incorrect. That Ishtar was actually like a goddess of war and stuff. No, I think it's a different pagan goddess. I think that's why the bunny is there though because it's like fertility fertility i've heard all of this and i learned all of this but i've also i'm now learning more information that that might be incorrect like all of okay. that yeah but you're just supposed to keep thinking the same things but it's life. still originated <laughs> regardless pagan, of facts as a pagan thing yeah but i mean most holidays did yeah and then, like, Constantine and all these early Christians, like, put our own twist on it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm super surprised we haven't done anything with Halloween. Um, well, it's it's um, also um, Reformation Day. Yeah. That's true. Yes. So Christians kind of do that. But, I mean, I also celebrate Halloween. I don't know where you guys are with yeah. that. But. I go back and forth with it. I, I mean, I, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to argue over it. Yeah. But I go back and forth. I that. just, I don't even enjoy it. 
I love Halloween. Like I don't have theological. I think it's definitely reasons. fun to dress up though. Yeah. No matter As where you stand, it no. It's no. Even I'm 30 years old, dude, and it's still fun to dress and up. And dressing bro. up as Elmo is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Yeah, right? So back to the book of Esther. <laughs> um, Nick, do you want to talk about the date of the authorship? When sure. it was written? Yeah, date of authorship. We cannot put a definite date of the authorship on the book, but there are some boundaries we can place that will all give us a rough idea of the date of authorship. And that's the earliest possible date would be somewhere around 464 BC, which was after... You got this. Harassorus died. <laughs> Harassorus? Uh, I, Harassorus. Harassorus. I wrote Ahasuerus, which is like another way of saying Xerxes. You can either say Xerxes or you can say Ahasuerus. I think one is like the Hebrew way of saying it, mm. and one is like the Aramaic way of so saying it. So if I couldn't it. say Xerxes the right first time, you thought you say throwing me a completely different name would be a good idea. Ahasuerus. God bless you. Why does it say that in the book? Um, it depends on what what translation of the Bible you read. It'll either say Xerxes or Ahasuerus, mm. which kind of sounds like a dinosaur. I get that. But I wanted to make sure people with different translations know that it's the same person. Ahasuerus okay. is Xerxes. So that's why. I'd okay. So either way, um, the earliest possible date would have been 464 BC. Okay. And the end of Xerxes' reign was the latest historical event recorded in the book. So it could not have been written before that. Um, another point is the latest possible date would be mid-century, mid-second century, because it was extra biblically referred to in Second Maccabees, which was written in the late second century. If you don't know Second Maccabees, it's in the Apocrypha, That's which in the Catholic Bible, which is in the Catholic mm-hmm. Bible. It's not in our canonized Bible that we know and read and love and love, but nonetheless, it is in some sense an historical book that we can get some information from. Mm -hmm. Um, So the book had to have been written somewhere between 464 B.C. and around 150 B.C. This is a relatively large gap. 300 years. So those are the definite goalposts, but it's reasonable to talk about the date. You know, we can guess on it. Yeah, we can make an educated guess. We can make an educated guess. It's definitely within that 300-year period, but I think it's... You can educatedly... Make say a guess. that it was written between 458 and 430 BC. Yep. Um, and the reason why you can kind of guess that is because of the context and what we think is the original purpose of the book, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I think that the a little when I say a little bit, I mean like right now. So let's Whoa. let's straighten that out right here. Dude. Um but I think the original purpose was to strengthen and encourage the post-exilic Jewish community that was returning to the land because of what we talked about in the last couple episodes, that there was a lot of um, opposition to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and Israel. So I think that the original purpose of writing this part of Israel's history was to kind of strengthen those Israelites who returned from exile to remind them that God is always in control and working in the background for their good. Gotcha. Similar to the uh, date, um, we don't really know who the author is. and But some people theorize that it was Ezra, Nehemiah, or Mordecai. But here's what we know. 
Um, we know that the author was very familiar with Persian customs, etiquette, history, etc., and had a working knowledge with the palace. We also know the author had a strong familiarity with Jewish customs and culture and had a strong sense of pride about the Jewish people. Um, we also know that the writer appears to have been an eyewitness, and he or she was likely not Esther, as women writers were uncommon in the ancient patriarchal societies of those days. And we also know that the writer talks about Mordecai in the third person, so that could exclude Mordecai as the writer. But next we're going to talk about the date of the events. And that is the Persian period of history lasted from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. The reign of Xerxes was between 486 and 465 B.C. And the events described in the book took place between 43 and 473 B.C. And this time frame was between the first 538 and the second 458 B.C. returns of the Jews to their land. There were three. The third came later in 445 B.C. Yeah, we mentioned in the Ezra episode <clears throat> that this takes place between, I believe, Ezra 6 and 7. Um, so the first six chapters of Ezra are one section of Israel's history, and then there's a gap in <clears throat> Ezra's historical account, and that's where Esther takes place right there in that gap. Gotcha. Next is everybody's favorite part of the show. It's my favorite part. Overwhelmingly everybody's favorite. The outline? Is this the outline? <laughs> fun facts, baby. Go for it, Ryan. <clears throat> yeah, so let me go through these super fun facts. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the first fun fact is that Esther happened between chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra. So although I was speculating earlier on the chapters that it was in between... Now I see right in front of me on the outline that it, yes, was between chapter 6 wow. and 7 of Ezra. Oh, my god! So, basically, I was right yet again. The second fun fact is that the events of Esther are celebrated every year during Purim? What? Purim? Purim? Purim. Purim? Because... Uh, Purim. Purim? We're going to talk about this, but that, that name... Of their holiday comes from the dice that they use to roll. It was called, I think it was called pour. Mm. <laughs> Are you making that up or is that real? No, I'm serious. Because they poured I, the dice out I of their I feel hands. like I uh, I read that somewhere, that the, the <coughs> actual dice that they use in this book um, to decide what was going to happen was called a pour. And then they, they named this holiday Purim. I could be wrong. We'll Google it. Afterwards. Well, it's spelled P-U-R-I-M. If there's any Jewish people or Messianic Jews or just somebody that's smarter than us listening, um, shoot us an email and maybe give us like the dictionary, you know. Or, you know, we could just phonetics. But no, please no, email us. Instead, why don't you email us and correct us? I love getting correction emails. Uh, I take I take correction very well. Um, there's a lot of other good traits that I have. Uh, uh, you're I, also very handsome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the events of Esther are celebrated every year during Purim, as Nick would say, but I think that's wrong. The next fun fact is that Mordecai may be the first person that we ever see referred to as a Jew. 
Really? Yes. All times before that, they're described as Hebrews or Israelites. So, um, so where does that word come from? So I was partially right, just to let you guys know, because I just looked it up. Um, It means lots. Oh yeah. It is the holiday in which Jewish the Jews commemorate being saved from persecution, as we know in this book, in the book of Esther, in the Bible. Um, The prime minister who convinces the king to kill the Jews. Uh, uh, we're getting a little ahead of Fused ourselves. to bow down, and Haman cast lots. So he cast lots to determine the date he would carry out his plan. Mm. Which my understanding were dice. Yeah. But uh, they uh, that's where the name comes from. They were redeemed from that chance of him casting lots. Bible dingers. That's so dinging awesome. All right, so the next fun fact is Vashti who is Xerxes' first queen, which we'll get into. She was the great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, from so Daniel. A little keeping it in the family there, Xerxes. Um, the last fun fact is there are a lot of canonicity issues with this book. Mm. The uh, order of books. Boom. Or the books that are why, inspired. Why are they in our Bible? Inspired. Why are they canonized? Yes. So we are actually going to tackle that next um, we're going to dedicate a whole at least six and a half minutes to this subject. There's a debate, I think probably still ongoing a little bit, as to whether Esther should be in the biblical canon or mm. not. So yeah, let's jump right into it. I guess we can go, we can start with the objections that people have as to why it should not be, be. in the canon. Which is, the first one's most obvious while you're reading it. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, so the first the first point against Esther being in the canon, and when, when we say canon, we just mean the Bible. The Bible. The 66 books today. of the Bibles, yeah. The first argument against it being part of the Bible is that God is not mentioned not one single time in the whole book of Esther. Um, so that's a big point for a lot of people. You mm-hmm. would think that if it's in the Bible, it should talk about God maybe once. Um, but it doesn't. <clears throat> the next point is that no other parts of the Old Testament nor does the New Testament quote or ever even refer to Esther. Um, so that's another big argument against the canonicity. Yeah, but there is the VeggieTales episode about it. There is, it's and true. we'll get into that defense of Esther here in, in a second. Um, another uh, argument against Esther being in the Bible is that there were no copies of Esther found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Next, another objection is that the law, sacrifices, and offerings are never mentioned in the book. And you see those 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 are ways of life for the Israelites, and none of them are ever mentioned yeah. in the book of Esther. I mean, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but there are legitimate reasons as to why, I think. Yeah, you're definitely jumping the gun. We'll get into that in a second. We're going to keep on going with the objections to Esther being in the canon. Next is that prayer is never mentioned in the book, and it doesn't explicitly say that either Esther or Mordecai prayed, Um, although it does mention fasting. However, it doesn't necessarily point to them Mm -hmm. fasting and praying. It just points to them not eating. Um, So that's another objection. We got two more objections. The next one is that many ancient Jewish and early Christian figures question the canonicity of Esther. So I know a big one is Martin Luther, um, and also non-Christian Jewish. You know, the Jewish community also questions it. It's not just the Christian community. 
So uh, I, I guess that's a red flag as well that some of the ancient Jewish people question the canonicity of the book. Oh, and my last point, which I just said, I didn't realize it was my last point, is that Martin Luther was one of the more recent questioners of the canonicity of Esther. And we know that he was a big part of the Reformation and uh, getting the correct books of the Bible together, taking out the, the Catholic books that we don't believe were actually part of the original Bible. Um, and he is one of the big people who questioned the canonicity of Esther. Gotcha. It's the, interesting because if he recognized like Maccabees and stuff like that, why wouldn't he do the same with Esther? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, time to talk about some object, objections. Objections um, to the objections? Yep. <laughs> there are a few objections to these common arguments. Although God's name is not mentioned, and we know that, right? We read it. He is clearly the main character of the text. It seems as though that if he can divinely control the historical events in the book of Esther, he could have divinely inspired the writer to include his name in the text. The fact that his name is not mentioned doesn't mean that he is not involved or that he doesn't have a purpose for the book. Hmm. Uh, we're going to get into the context of the book in a few minutes, but God's all over it. It's, it's, not, it's not circumstantial, all these things that happen. It's just God. And second point, the book does not record absolutely everything. Esther and Mordecai could have been quietly devoted to prayer. However, the eyewitness author would not have been there for these moments. Okay? Third, Esther and Mordecai didn't simply lack in their mention of Jewish laws and sacrifices. They literally hid them. Um, and we see that in chapter 7, 3 through 4. It makes sense that there isn't much mention of the Jewish law, as there was a lot of fear among the Jewish people during this time, especially for Esther and Mordecai. Yeah, I think that that kind of speaks to the point before it, too, where it talks about how you don't really see Esther and Mordecai praying because there was a lot of fear and a lot of Jewish people were hiding the fact that yeah, they were Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to talk about her story, but she was literally hiding the fact that she was Jewish. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't the overall point of the book to mention that. She was praying because it would have done nothing to the, the story, okay? Um, the fourth point is the Jewish people had been in exile for a long time and the customs needed... Uh, reinstatement upon their return to the land. It is likely that Jewish law and rituals had ceased happening by Esther's time, and that's why there is no mention. When Nehemiah prayed for the Jewish people in Nehemiah 1, 5-11, it appears that he's praying for their spiritual lives to be restored as they had been lost during exile. Yeah, I think that's another good point. So not only were they trying to hide their Jewish heritage, but it also seems like, like it, the stuff, the objections that there's no mention of laws or, or sacrifices or no mention of prayer or anything like that. They could have just like died off, mm. you know, like people could have just stopped doing those things because they were in exile and they took on the Babylonian lifestyle. The bad stuff, yeah. Yeah. And we see that in Nehemiah, when people came back, all this stuff had to be reinstated. So mm -hmm. that kind of infers the fact that it wasn't happening already. So it could be, I think those are good objections yeah, to, to the objections. I can see that. So those are some uh, those aren't reasons why it should be in the canon, uh, but those are responses, I guess you could say, to people's objections. I think we kind of just take it for granted that it should be in the canon because we believe that um, the people who put together the canon of scripture were uh, divinely led by the Holy Spirit. We trust that that was that was what was happening. Yeah. So this is more so a response to the objections that people have to the canonicity of Esther. So. <laughs> time for the porpoise time for the porpoise of the book and i kind of mentioned uh the original purpose earlier 
and I, I feel like these are a few other possible purposes that motivated the author. Obviously, like I said before, I think that it was to strengthen the faith of the Jewish people that were returning from exile as they were kind of like beaten down, they were downtrodden, and they were getting threatened and stuff like that. Um, so this is kind of to strengthen them. Also, I think that a purpose was to show that God providentially protects his people. And in this case, his protection became the reason that Jewish people celebrate Purim. And so this book was kind of written to show them why they celebrate it. And we see that in a lot of books. We see that, um, I think it was Ruth. I'm thinking of Ruth. Ruth was written in order to show the Jewish people that David is a legitimate king. That was one of the original purposes of why Ruth was written. And so a lot of times the authors of the books of the Bible have this motive and it's to kind of inform people that something is legitimate. So I think one, if that makes sense, I think one of the reasons why Esther was written was to tell the Jewish people why Purim is celebrated. Does that make sense? Because it was written after the fact. It's not like it was being current recorded history. So the, the writer had a purpose in writing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that was the introduction to Esther. Now we are going to jump into the outline as we always do. And there are one, two, three, three. sections of Esther. The first major section is God's preparations. Nikki, tell us about God's preparations. Ooh, I love when books open up with a party. You know what I mean? Kind of like what we do on our episode. We open up with a party. uh, Genesis. Yeah, that's great. The party in the cosmos. The creation party. Yeah, the party in the cosmos. Um, But in this case, this party was like insane. Imagine partying for 180 days. A tea. A tea. Days. I've done that before. Well, if you have, you'll be right there with Vashti because that's what he did. He uh, threw a king's feast in chapter one. This is how the book opens up. He threw an 180-day party followed by a big seven-day party when that was over. So guess what? After party was a week. (laughs) Yo, ring that bell to party, baby. You could just say 187-day party. What's the point? Because the seven days is the after party, Mark. Have you never been to an after party? Yep. No. So that was, that was how the book opened. And then later on in chapter one, we see the queen's dismissal. Why? Because it was ridiculous. Xerxes summoned Vashti to come be looked at during his seven-day post party because she was so beautiful. So right? beautiful. But Vashti told him no. <laughs> Vashti told him no. So beautiful. That made Xerxes royally upset. You did not even read my joke correctly. (laughs) Royally upset. Uh, I bolded it for you. That made Xerxes royally upset. (laughs) We need a a soundbite. Also, I need to correct myself before you continue. There are actually five major sections, but my outline wasn't loading correctly. Okay. Sorry. So uh, that made him upset. And... His advisors told him that women across the kingdom would disrespect their husbands if Xerxes let her get away with this. So guess what he did? What did he do? Like a football. Punted her out of his presence. Bink. Okay. What is this? Are you doing? Looney Tunes? (laughs) 
Yeah, so uh, he's having this freaking party or whatever, and um, and, well, this is the after party. He tells Vashti to come to the after party because she's so hot, and he wants to show his friends or whatever, and uh, Vashti's like, nah, fool, I'm a woman with a brain, and you can't just sit here and tell me what to do. Yes, queen. Yes, girl. First of all, Vashti, get it, girl, okay? (laughs) Second of all, that made Xerxes royally mad. <laughs> so I'm just going to double down on that joke. <laughs> Retell the joke. <laughs> and then um, I love I love the advisor's um, reasoning for why Vashti should be kicked out of, of the royal queenhood. And it's because if other women in the land hear about that, then they'll start disrespecting their men. It's like, dude, man. Patriarchy. Yeah, big time. I just want to be clear. Did I say Vashti threw this party? I think Xerxes definitely threw the party if I said Vashti by mistake. He threw the party and he threw Vashti out. Yeah, he threw both of those things. (laughs) Out of the party. Yeah. And then, go ahead for the second one because this is beautiful. Yeah, so that's the first part of uh, God's preparations, I guess you could say. And then the next part of that section is Esther's rise to power. And the beginning of that is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is the plan to replace Vashti. Um, So essentially, the plan was to get all the pretty virgin women together into one place to get them dolled up, put a bunch of makeup on them, wear whatever clothes they wanted. And then the king picked whoever he wanted to be the new queen. Let's get this straight real quick, just in case they they lost themselves. So... Vashti was asked to display her beauty in the middle of his post party. And she got all embarrassed and stuff, I assume. Like, why would you want me to do that? Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. He straight up threw her out and then threw an event with all the virgins in the area Mm -hmm. to get another wife. Yeah. And he just picks her. He's like, you're hot queen yeah so and if any of you i'm an english major in college a couple of years ago at this point a long time ago if any of you guys have read shakespeare this is like shakespeare 101 i'm pretty sure this is where he got his ideas from the book of esther really absolutely what, i don't know what you're talking about is it like, like a specific no, play shakespeare, no shakespeare stuff is just wacky turns like mm. people people experiencing stuff like this getting kicked out for no reason or like a woman coming in and being beautiful. I want you as a wife for no reason at all. Mm. King's doing dumb stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is just like the, this uh, weird turn on a story. Mm-hmm. It's totally Shakespeare. Yeah. So if Shakespeare existed, then this is where he got it from. Absolutely. If he existed. Well, whether it be a collection of authors or him, they definitely got some type of idea from this book. From the book of Esther. Without a doubt. So it should be called S tier. Yeah. Why? Instead of Shakespeare? Or Shakespeare. No, that didn't work. (laughs) Shakespeare. Yeah, so obviously Xerxes, great guy. Okay, he just lines up the women and he picks one. Um, Then following that is Esther's selection. So he lines them all up. I guess an interesting note is that the guy who is in charge of like the harem of women, the Bible actually uses the word harem, so I'm not just like being a jerk or whatever. The guy who's like in charge of the harem um, really favored Esther and liked her a lot. So he gave her like the best treatment. He gave her whatever she wanted. And all the other women liked Esther too. Everybody liked Esther. 
And then also in this section, Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin, is introduced. And we learn that Mordecai told her not to say anything about her Jewish heritage. So this mm-hmm. is all kind of mid-chapter 2. And then at the end of chapter 2, we see Esther's chosen to be the next queen. Um, so Xerxes was most attracted to Esther, and so he picked her to be queen. And that's that's it. That's it. You're beautiful. I want you. <laughs> you <Come>. know. <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, next uh, we see... In uh, chapter two, we see Haman's plot. Uh, yeah, this is the next major section. Yeah, Haman's plot. Um, and that's that. We see that in chapter two, verse twenty-one and twenty-three. Mordecai's loyalty. He found out about a plot to assassinate Xerxes, and told Esther, who in turn told Xerxes, and then he found it to be true and impaled the man. Okay, so what happened? So Mordecai Mordecai found, found out. out that two people were talking in the front. Let's just like. Okay. Make it easier to understand. Two people were talking in the front about murdering the king, mm. right? And Mordecai, in his loyalty, overheard that story. And told Esther. And told Esther. To tell Xerxes. And then Esther went back and told Xerxes. So, essentially, Mordecai saved the king's life. Oh, okay. Mordecai okay. was mortified by that. Oh, spoon. man. So then, wow, that was great. Wait, wait until you hear this one, because this one's even better. In chapter three, Haman had a promotion, and the king was like, Hey, man, <laughs> I think that you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man, uh, we're on it today. Yeah. Bible dingers. Haman's promotion. And he was like, hey, man, I think you should be you know, my right hand. And um, he became second in command and found uh, out that Mordecai would not bow down to him. Mm. Mordecai's this great guy, saved the king's life. He just didn't want to bow down to somebody that he didn't need to, right? Mm. Um, he got really upset at that and just enraged him. And uh, he seemed to hate the Jewish people too, so it was just convenient to his agenda. And this caused him to want to wipe out their entire race. Hey, man, that is Hey, man, up. that is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then he, he had a proposal in chapter 3. And he requested to the king that Mordecai would more to die. More to die. <laughs> nope. And everybody dies. We should have, bro, this is the second episode that we need that on the soundbite. Everybody's well, dead. Well, it's too late. Okay. And um, okay. He, uh, he requested that the people group of the Jews that did not obey the king's law and acted rebelliously, basically everybody, would be completely wiped out. Out. Yeah, I don't think he mentioned the Jews um, outright. I think he just mentioned that there was a people group in the kingdom that don't obey the king's laws and acted rebellious. And his his request was for him to be able to wipe out this rebellious this people. rebellious yeah. group, which essentially were the Jews anyway. No. Yeah, but he, I'm saying he didn't mention to the king that it I was want the Jews. Jews. He just said that there is a people. There's a group. people group. Yeah. So he kind of twisted it to right. to make it. He made it really vague. So ma- that yeah. He could, so the king would say yes. Right. Okay, and uh, in chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, we see that the king allowed it, right? This is the king's permission. The king gave Haman his seal, and Haman issued a decree. That's what it's actually called. It's a decree marked with the king's seal all over the kingdom in different provinces. You, uh, and then um, in chapter 4, we see Mordecai and the Jews' reaction. They mourned in sackcloth and ashes. Yeah, so basically the, the decree was that um, 
if there's any Jews around you, you're allowed to kill them. And I think he put a he put a price on their head too. I think if you kill a Jew, you get this much amount of money. Yeah. Um. And so they set a date, <clears throat> like you said, they they cast dice or whatever to pick a date. And the rule was on this day, you can kill as many Jews as you can mm. and get a bunch of money for it. So obviously Mordecai and the Jews were not happy about that. It's like the purge. Yeah, kind of. We'll give you one day. So if if all along the king knew who his queen was, this might have just completely overrided the whole thing. But he right. didn't. Right, yeah. He didn't know that Esther she was, was Jewish. She was hiding the whole time. Mm. Right, correct. But because that because she was in this position of power... Um, Esther was able to intervene here, and that's the third major section of the book, uh, and that's from chapter four through chapter nine. This is all Esther's intervention here, um, and it starts with Mordecai's instruction, and then Esther's decision based on that instruction, and that's in verses four through seventeen. Basically, Mordecai told Esther what's going on because I don't think she realized it, and he told her to approach the king to get him to fix what Haman did, what Haman decreed. Esther was hesitant, and you would think that's strange, but it's because there was a law that no one was allowed to approach the king without his summons. Um, And if he didn't extend his golden scepter to the person who entered his presence, then that person was, they were liable to be killed. Killed, yeah. So... The only way she wouldn't be killed is if he extended his golden scepter to her and allowed her to to speak right right, in his presence. She was scared to approach him, obviously, because of that. Um, But Mordecai kind of assured her that she would be found out one day because she was in hiding, that she was Jewish. And she would end up being wiped out with the rest of the Jews anyway. Uh, So she kind of got scared. Either way, you know, she was going to die either in in a long time because she would eventually be found out. Or right now, because the king wouldn't uh, extend his scepter to her. Gotcha. Um, So what she did was she told Mordecai to go tell everyone to fast and pray for her because she decided that she was going to approach the king. So that is chapter four. And then starting in chapter five, uh, we see Esther's approach. And it also kind of shows us more of Haman's hatred in, in this chapter. Basically, what happened in chapter five is Esther entered the king's court and the scepter was extended to her. So her life was spared. He was cool. He was like, okay, you can come into my presence. And he also told her on top of that, that anything she wants will be given to her. So he really liked her. Hmm. Um, And she asked for the king and Haman to join her for a banquet the next day that she will prepare. So she didn't just outright say, this is what's going on. This is what I want. She asked for the king and Haman to join her, and she was going to make dinner for them. Mm. That's in the beginning of chapter 5. Then at the end of chapter 5, it kind of describes uh, in more detail Haman's hatred for Mordecai. Um, And it talks about how Haman's wife tells him to build a gallows slash a wooden pole. And I say that because the word used here is kind of unclear. It could either be a gallows that hangs people or a wooden pole a giant wooden pole that they would impale him on. It could be either one of those things. Either way, he was getting thrown through it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's one way to say it. Um, Either way, whichever one it was, she told him to build a 75-foot tall one of these things, and 
that sh- that he should kill Mordecai on it. So yeah, it's, it's it's tough to translate what that was. It could be either an impaling pole or a gallows. But Haman likes the idea, and he gets to work on this huge seventy-five foot killing machine. Hmm. That's in chapter five, and then in chapter six, this is kind of a crazy part, and I and I and I love this part of the book. Mm-hmm. We see Mordecai's exaltation. So all this is going on. Haman's plotting to kill the Jews. All the Jews are weeping. They're they're crying in sackcloth and ashes. Um, and then one night, while all this is going on, Xerxes wasn't able to sleep, and he decided to read through some like chronicles of his reign. I guess like an autobiography about himself or whatever. He came across the part where Mordecai tipped him off to the assassination attempt that we talked about in chapter one or two or whatever it was. And he ended up asking his advisor what reward um, was given to Mordecai for this. And the advisor told the king that nothing was given to Mordecai, that he just kind of went on about his business. He never got rewarded or whatever. And so kind of in a moment of poetic justice, I guess you could say, Haman then enters the king's courts after Xerxes talked to this advisor about Mordecai. Xerxes asked Haman what should be done for a man that the king desires to exalt. And Haman, obviously thinking that this applied to himself because he was second in command, he had a Mm. close relationship with Xerxes and stuff like that. Haman told Xerxes that he should dress this person in royal clothes and parade him through the city and honor him in front of people and all this stuff. And then Xerxes (laughs) agrees with him and he says, yes, now you go do that for Mordecai. Uh, so it's pretty cool that yeah. this all gets turned around. Haman's trying to kill Mordecai and all the Jewish people. And then he thinks that Xerxes is talking about Haman. And then he turns around and he's actually talking about Mordecai. And now Haman has to go through with Mordecai and parade Mordecai through the cities and kind of honor him and say that this is what happens when when the king when the king honors you. You get paraded through the city and he gets to he he has to just throw all these praises towards Mordecai even though he just hates him he, he hates him like injusticely though yeah like, yeah just because he didn't bow down to you really correct yeah That's it's it. all out of pride it's so dumb yeah um and in chapter seven after that you done there yeah go ahead are you okay. done are you done yeah you know what I'll just shut up for the rest yeah. of the episode in uh so after that we see in chapter seven that we have Haman's fall I wish I had that guy you ever see the movie trolls yeah. Oh, the cloud guy. The cloud. I wish oh, I had I his voice. Mark doesn't Heyman's, have kids, bro. Why would he know that? Heyman's fall. Yeah. You know. I love the cloud guy. And that's uh, little slappy make daddy happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, bring it in. You got to have toddlers, Mark. Bring it in. Come on. <laughs> um, Party so, on the top floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you guys just quoting trolls? Right yeah. <laughs> Bible dingers. I can't think of another troll quote. So. Houdini. Oh, where did the topic go, bro? Anyway, um, we see Haman's fall. And this is when Esther has a banquet, and her request is that Xerxes would spare her life and her people's lives from annihilation. The king asks, who is going to annihilate them? And she said, Haman. The king was furious and had Haman hung on the gallows that was prepared for Mordecai. Uh-huh. Yeah, or impaled, whatever it may be. Impaled or hung, whatever. All comes but back the weapon that yeah. he created 
for um, uh, Mordecai wind up being used on him. That's beautiful. Instead. Is that, that's why I see you say this is like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely something that would happen in Shakespeare. And that's why it should not be in the canon of Scripture. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it should be in a Shakespeare play. Anyway, in chapter 8 um, and 9, we're nearing towards the end of the book, unfortunately, because this is a good book. We see the Jews' deliverance, as always, throughout all of these books. We see the Jews being constantly delivered. Um, the rewarding of Esther and Mordecai in chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, Esther was placed over Haman's role, and she gave the role to Mordecai. Then, in chapter 8, again, Esther's request for her people, and that was that Haman's decree would be revoked, got revoked. But, um, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, we can cut this. But he, could, he couldn't actually remove the decree. So what he did was allow them to defend themselves during the decree still being in an action, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. So her request was that the decree would be revoked, and he didn't necessarily revoke it. Because like, by law, the king couldn't go back on his word. Right, he couldn't revoke the own decrees. So basically, yeah, he he put out a second royal decree, and this is, I guess, just continuing on in verses 9 through 14, yeah. that the Jews were able to defend themselves, and they were able to kill whoever came to kill them. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> and then um, continuing through chapter 8, we see the joy of the Jews in verse 15 through 17. Because they were really happy yeah. that they got to defend themselves, and they were in celebration. And then the Jews' self-defense in chapter 9, they ended up fighting back and killing a bunch of their enemies and ultimately, you know, winning that battle. Yeah, so it, it kind of turned on itself, and the, the Jewish people actually killed, like, non-Jewish people. <laughs> yep. Um, and then they're rejoicing in chapter 9. Um, and then uh, Mordecai wrote a letter in chapter 9, verses 20 and 28, and he sent out a letter that every year these events should be celebrated. And this is where the Jewish holiday, Purim, come from. We discussed that earlier in the show. Um very interesting stuff. And then Esther had a letter in, in chapter 9, and that was the confirmation of this holiday. And, of course, because of all that he had done and all the good, that that is a result of him being a good guy, I think. In chapter 10, we see Mordecai's greatness. Yeah, it just talks about how great he is. Yeah. He is pretty great. He is great. So what do you guys think of the book of Esther? Um, dramatic. Mm. For sure, um, Shakespearean, ir- ironic, ironic. Oh, like actually, yeah, ironic. Mordecai and Haman. I like, yeah. I think it's a lot of poetic justice. Yep, so for sure. There's a lot of turning evil into good, you know, or turning evil into God's glory. Exactly, which is what God's in the business of doing. Yep, it's like the end of Genesis. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. just talking about the verse. I thought you were talking about a story. No, story, yeah. Well, regardless, I mean, I think some people can scratch their head and say, how can God be in this? Because he's not mentioned. But if you see, I mean, like I started to mention earlier, it's not based on circumstances that all these things just so happen to work out. Like, how is it that the guy who was going to get killed wound up being essentially glorified at the end of the book? Mm-hmm. And how is it that Esther, who wasn't even supposed to be there because she was a Jew, wound up being queen? Mm-hmm. Okay? All of these all of these things that are happening for the benefit of God's people. Mm-hmm. And it just... God worked out. even, And this is not a moral story, okay? Because there was a lot of immoral things going on. Um, there were, you know, she wasn't exactly following the law because you weren't allowed to really marry um, a, a person from another you know, 
country or whatever, another place, another, you know, so she wasn't allowed to marry. So she, this is not a moral story, but this is a Victoria story, how God redeems his people no matter what they do. He always works out the final details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite books, honestly. I mean, not necessarily like theologically, like it's not the most theologically rigorous book or, you know, it doesn't like pull up my heartstrings necessarily, but I really just love the story in Esther. I think it's it's in my top five for sure. Yeah, you know they have it in um what do they call it? Uh the plays that they do in Lancaster. Oh, sight and sound. Yeah, they have the next story that they're doing is Esther. Hmm. Should be good. Yeah. They're gonna build a seventy five foot um gallows. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they did because they've done everything from what I've heard. I never saw one of their shows. I went when I was a little kid. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, like apparently Peter's actually walking on water and like they have real live animals for a Noah's Ark and they have yeah. like, a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. I went um, to see the uh, crucifixion when I was a kid, and they they had like the Roman soldiers coming in on horses and stuff yeah, like that. I really want to go. I saw the creation one as a kid. Oh yeah, cool. Anyway, that was our episode <laughs> on the Book of Esther. <laughs> so that's how we're gonna finish out the Book of Esther. Go to a Sight and Sound Sight show and if you live close to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Go see uh, Sight and Sound. We'll meet you there. Well, I probably won't because the tickets are kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah, I'll meet you there in spirit. In spirit. Yep, that was the book of Esther. <laughs> Why don't you go on Facebook? Go on Instagram. Why go don't on you just Twitter. go on Facebook right now <laughs> and follow us at Bible Dingers? I want to say Bible Dingers. I want to say Bible Dingers. Yep, me too. <clears throat> I want to say uh, if you enjoy our show, if you could please. Give us a good review on Yelp, Apple Podcasts on Yelp. Take some pictures of our restaurant. Um, <laughs> say that you love our food. Um, give us five stars. It helps us reach other people. You know, there's uh, there's people out there who need to know the Bible, need to know what the Bible says. We really, our heart behind this is for people to know Jesus. You know, for the yep. first time, if they if they don't know him. Um, or if they've kind of fallen out of Christianity because of any reasons, um, whether it be an emotional reason, they got hurt by the church or, you know, another reason, like maybe they don't believe the Bible is true or whatever that may be. We want to, we want this to be exposed to them so they can see the truth behind the scriptures exactly, or they can see maybe the reality of what Christian life is like. It doesn't have to be like this dull, stale Christian life that, you know, there's no fun allowed or whatever. <clears throat> so if you give us a good review or a good rating on Apple Podcasts, that just helps us get more exposure to other people who need this teaching in their life. Yep. And check us out on social media as well. Write us on, um, write us an email if you have any questions about the Bible at BibleDingers at gmail.com. Um, but while you're scrolling, you know, like every episode, since our loyal listeners are used to it, we have to do it. You know, when you're on Facebook, when you're on Twitter... When you're on Instagram, while you're scrolling. Just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit follow, hit subscribe, hit like. Ding on. Bible dingers. You say you got mountains. You can move all of those big waves in your ocean. I'm the lighthouse to bring you home. I'm the maker of the atlas. Keep all the rules, you can follow my footsteps. <laughs>